My Texas Table presents the Healthy Brain Podcast. This is the show for people who want to improve their brain stability, clarity, and longevity. Here's your host, certified health coach, Carrie Wainwright Miller. Hey, my friends, I want to welcome you to the Healthy Brain Podcast, where we stand up and speak truth about what's healthy in this world. You won't find any sugarcoating in this space, especially when we talk about a topic today I know you guys are going to love. So I have a very special guest for you today. He's a graduate from Texas State University. He's an entrepreneur, former triathlete. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And bike racer, co-founder of the world's first grass-fed meat, fruit, and nut bar, Epic Provisions. You know it. Along with his beautiful wife, Katie. He's a co-owner of Rome Ranch. He's a bright young man who's way beyond his years. And I want to give him a big Texas welcome to the podcast, Taylor Collins. Wow. Thank you, Carrie. Oh, that was a great intro. Oh, you're Love so it. welcome. Man, I was searching on the web one day and after watching a YouTube, you know, Rich Roll and Dr. Zach Bush, I landed on the farmer's footprint. And there you were, along with your wife and your little girl. And as one of the farmer's participants, I guess, an extremely important topic that we're going to cover today. And that is regenerative agriculture. So... For our listeners, can you kind of explain what that is and what was y'all's inspiration to follow the path? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so when you think about agriculture, when you think about farming and ranching, there's a couple of different ways to really break that down and the impacts it has on our environment and on our food that we consume. And so we have this conventional industrialized model, right? And that's Mm -hmm. when you think about agriculture, that's what most people default to. And so with animal-based livestock, it's a confined feedlot setting. It's the use of antibiotics and hormones. And then equally as destructive, you can look at how plants are grown. And that's a monoculture row crop plant-based operation that's dependent on chemical inputs, herbicides, pesticides, chemical fertilizers. doesn't exist without chemical inputs. And so that's destructive. It's degenerative. It's taking out the nutrient density of our food. And that conventional system is degenerative. We can all agree on that, right? It's causing more Mm -hmm. harm than it is doing good on the planet and for consumers and for animals. And so you have another model. It's another tier. And we call that a sustainable ranch or sustainable farm, sustainable agriculture. When you break that down, you're basically saying, let's maintain homeostasis or status quo. And if I told you today that all of our soil has been depleted globally and an FAO report, which is the Food and Agriculture Organization, it's a division of the United Nations, say that we have about 50 years of food production left at our current run rate with how we're mismanaging land and our mm-hmm. natural resources, you'd say, well, why would we ever want to sustain that, right? And then you even look at nutrient density where in two generations, so our grandparents' generation, you know, for every one pound of meat they would eat, we have to eat two pounds to get the same vitamins and minerals. And it's even more of a delta or more of a remarkable gap with fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Oranges, for example, I've heard some people quote, eight oranges is what this generation has to eat to get the same vitamins and minerals that our grandparents would. Absolutely. What? That's nuts. So again, why would we want to sustain that? So we're talking about degenerative, no good. Sustainable, no good. And then we're talking about this option, this alternative, this regenerative agriculture. So regenerative agriculture is emulating, working with nature to replicate and reproduce how nature functions as an ecosystem. And by doing so, we can actually rebuild and we can heal and we can restore. And so the beauty of this form of agriculture is, A, 
you're capturing carbon from the atmosphere and you're sequestering it into the soil. So you can, has all types of massive implications for climate change. Soil is like a massive savings bank for atmospheric carbon and grasses are super highways for which that carbon can be pulled out of the atmosphere. And so we have huge impacts there globally. When we talk about wildlife habitat, right? When you think about monocultures and feedlots, row crops, life cannot exist aside from that one species of plant or animal that's being produced. And so regenerative agriculture has massive implications for creating habitat for migratory species, native species, basically a home for everything. Nature is complex and animals are a really important part of that. Mm -hmm. And then regenerative agriculture also has huge potential for capturing rainfall, recharging aquifers, right? And then when you even just continue to go down that path, Every human should care about this, if not for everything I've already said, but because the nutrient density and the value of the food is directly related to the soil. So the more we're able to restore and heal our soil, the more vitamins and minerals and the, the increased nutrient density of the food we eat. And so that's why everyone should care about it, because the food that we eat and we feed our families is important. Yes, of course. So how did y'all get into this movement? Tell us a little backstory. Yeah. Okay. So my wife and I used to be vegans many moons ago and we just thought we had it figured out we were in college and we were racing at really high levels of triathlons my wife was uh she actually won her first ironman triathlon that she Whoa. did which is a big deal <laughs> and so we were like all right you're very talented what can we do to optimize your health and wellness and the conventional wisdom kind of as it still is today it's always lagging behind right like yeah. science and the media it's just not really up there with the cutting edge discoveries with health and wellness. So the conventional wisdom and the narrative was that endurance athletes, they thrive on diets that are high in carbohydrates and sugars, very low in fat, high in plant-based proteins. So like your soys and your pea isolates and all this stuff. And so we thought that's what we need to do to take our own athletic endeavors to the next level. And that didn't work out. It actually almost killed my wife in some capacity to where Year over year, she kept getting sicker and sicker. She was having a lot of GI distress and a lot of chronic inflammation. And she had exploratory surgeries to try to figure things out. And she couldn't train anymore. And so we were like, well, we must not be eating clean enough. Let's go from vegetarian to vegan to raw food vegan to juicing vegan. And things kept getting worse. And then we made this big pivot when we consulted with a, a holistic health practitioner. Nutritionist. Yeah. yeah. Nutritionist. Mm -hmm. And that was finally like the first person. I mean, we saw every occupation of healthcare provider conventional and alternative that we could find for resources. And this holistic health practitioner nutritionist was the first person that led with, well, what are you guys eating? Right? And yeah. That's the first thing they asked. And so we kind of told them what we were eating and then made a very wise suggestion. You know, hey, you guys should start cooking your vegetables instead of eating everything raw. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then also, like, I really want you guys to start eating meat again, but I don't want it to just be you know, your commodity, conventional, industrialized meat. I want it to be grass-fed, pasture-raised, free-range, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And so that's when we got back into, we're pretty extreme with when we commit to something, we just go all in. And so, you can tell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, let's do it. Tomorrow, I'm going to make bacon. I'm going to cook a steak. And it was, I mean, overnight, our bodies just felt absolutely terrific. And so here we are, these athletes still training at a really high level, and we didn't have high-quality animal protein that we could carry in our pocket, take with us during long days of training or racing or recovery. And so we set out to create convenient shelf-stable meat bars, like a protein bar made out of 
protein, right? Like so y'all just protein. started this out of your house? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We started it and I was making these bars and the very first addition of this was just bacon. Like we just put, we cooked pounds and pounds of bacon, put it in our pocket and then we took it on hundred mile bike rides. <laughs> we're like, okay, this is game changing. This works. <laughs> Let's roll with it. What else can we do? And so we started messing with bison and lamb and beef and turkey. And so we created the company Epic. And so that was when we started Epic, our view of human nutrition and wellness was we recognized that the food we consume, it was really important, especially with animal proteins, that that living organism was raised in the environment that it was biologically intended to Mm -hmm. and that it ate the diet that it was evolutionarily intended to. And so grass-fed, free-range, we were banking on that. And when we started Epic, it didn't take long before we found, we came upon Alan Savory, and Alan Savory is kind of like the godfather of how livestock integration can be regenerative. And so Alan made it really clear to us after watching a TED Talk video that it didn't matter how the animal was raised or the diet it ate if it wasn't being raised in nutrient-dense, thriving, healthy soil. And then the same with plants. Like you can't get nutrition from plants if it wasn't grown in healthy, thriving, nutrient-dense, resilient soil. And so that was mind-blowing, eye-opening for us. Absolutely. And, and yeah, very formative in our journey to where now we had three pillars with Epic. It was all about soil health, animal health, and human health, and how it was all connected. And so to be able to tell that story and explain it was our mission and one of the reasons why we decided to really accelerate the growth of that brand because we thought it was really important. Yeah, I've had those bars before. I mean, Good. yeah, I started eating them last year, so Champion. I saw them in Sprouts and Whole Foods, and yeah. every time I'd go in, like every couple of weeks, I'd pick them up, and so nice. <laughs> yeah, we still they're tasty. We still eat them today. We actually went to a little juice bar in Fredericksburg yesterday for kind of breakfast, and our daughter bought two Epic bars. And, oh, yeah, that's she ate so a cool. Lamb bar and a wild boar. Okay, like, yes, I love the lamb. Get it? Yeah, that's so awesome. Okay, so, you know, this all makes so much sense to me just because I'm always searching for that deeper answer as to why there's so much chronic disease. Because on the Healthy Brain Podcast, we talk to all different kind of doctors and nutritionists, and everybody just has their take. But this is getting back down to the soil, and it's just so important for people to realize what you guys are doing is just right on, you know? So exciting to talk about this. Okay, Taylor, so let's talk about something that a key ingredient, I know of Roundup is where I'm getting, that's in our soil, land, rainwater, and air, the water-soluble toxin, which is glyphosate. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because people don't really know. They just know that's Roundup sitting on the counters there, and they're going to grab it because it kills their weeds. Yeah. And so what do you have to say to this product? Man, we want nothing to do with with Roundup, with glyphosate, with any... We are anti-chemical. Chemicals are used in agriculture to combat and to fight nature. Mm-hmm. And so that's industrialized agriculture is chemical warfare against Mother Nature. And that never turns out good for the end consumer, for the animals that inhabit that ecosystem and the land. And so we're adamantly opposed to it. In our part of Texas, where we're ranching now here at Rome Ranch, we're one of the only people that refuse to use chemicals on our property. Glyphosate is one that we are afraid of. I mean, it's the carcinogen. It's Mm -hmm. water soluble. It's even in rainfall nowadays. Yes. And so, I mean, it's it's almost inescapable, but 
we have a value here and it's kind of the golden rule that we've always lived our life by, but it's feed others as you wish to be fed. And so we're not going to ever use anything on any of our animals here or any of our land that we wouldn't feel comfortable ourselves eating or feeding our daughter. And so, yeah, we're completely against it. When we bought the property, it had been industrially chemically managed for 60 plus years. And so when we came out here, we did baseline soil sampling Mm -hmm. and I mean, the biology was non-existent. It was dirt, right? So soil is alive and it's teeming with life. Matter of fact, a tablespoon of healthy soil should have more living organisms than all humans on the face of the planet since the starting of time. And I did not know that. It's amazing. Soil is the final frontier. We know less about soil than anything else. Outer space, the depths of the ocean. It's so complex and it's so interconnected. And that's what makes it really special. But when we came out here, we did some soil baseline sampling and we found glyphosate in our soil. We found atrazine in our soil and it was desertified. It was bare. There was not the ability for plants to grow out here was it was not functioning. And so you have to imagine all these fields that you see today, it was dirt, lifeless dirt. Right. And we put out seeds. Those seeds couldn't germinate because that chemical residue was still in the soil Mm -hmm. because the soil was bare. When it rained out here, the terminal velocity of rainfall is 25 miles an hour. So if you have bare soil, you don't have any green-growing plants to provide armor, and it compacts it. And it can be as hard as concrete or asphalt or a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And so then when it does rain, that rain washes off and takes off more topsoil, causes erosion. That soil is predisposed to wind erosion, but water can't get in, and nothing else can get out. And so that whole broken cycle starts with farming and the industrialization of farming, the use of tractors, the use of tilling, and the use of chemical warfare like atrazine and glyphosate. Yeah, which most farmers, I mean, that's just uh, just known. That's, that's what, what they do everywhere. Yeah, that's what you're taught. As a matter of fact, if you, you know, you say, I want to be a farmer, I want to grow up and I want to ranch or farm, but you go to school and in school, they're going to actually teach you chemistry and they're going to teach you mechanization. They don't teach you biology. And so you're going to school to grow food and you're learning about how to use chemicals on your land. You're not learning about biology and ecosystems and how to farm in nature's image. You're actually learning how to combat that. And so that's a big problem that where a lot of this stems from. It's the educational system. And yeah, people, like you said, people just don't know any better. It's just no. how you do it. And then here you guys are planted right in the middle of all these farmers. What did the farmers think about it out here? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they... They keep their distance or they're just watching, right? We've had They've both. been watching. Yeah, we've had both. <laughs> you know, when we first came out here, a really great story is some of our neighbors, we came very early on and their land was being managed. They were leasing their land to a farmer that was spraying glyphosate, that was tilling, that was planting monoculture row crops, use of herbicides, fungicides, all types of biocides. We approached that landowner and we said, hey, we're new in town. We don't want anything to do with this. Did you know that that's going into the well, the aquifer that you're drinking from, right? And we're drinking from, and we don't want that in this area, in this community. And we would love to take over these leases. We'll manage it in a completely different way. And these are people that have lived out here their whole lives. I mean, the road is named after them. They're fifth generation Pfeifers, right? They're the first pioneer settlers in Fredericksburg settled this land. So they are our neighbors. And they just were like, absolutely not. Like, if my grandpa didn't know your grandpa, there's no way I'm going to lease this land to you. Oh, so, Texans. <laughs> we thought, All right, well, that's. Or is that a farmer thing? <laughs> Both, yeah, hard headed. I mean, maybe even German farmer thing. But they are, but you know, we just kind of went heads down and did our thing, and we have fence lines with these neighbors. And so 
they're looking on our side we're looking on their side and it's amazing like we have 10 times more wildlife right so we have like yeah. desirable species for hunting and recreation on our side abundant teeming with life you can see it birds mammals reptiles and then on the other side of a fence all there is is a fence separation right mm -hmm. and it's a mindset that same rainfall same soil types just different management of the two different sides there's nothing it's lifeless and so these yes. neighbors started seeing that and appreciating that and two years into our journey we were approached by them and we were offered the opportunity to start leasing land from our neighbors. And so these were people who were very early on skeptics. And now we're managing their land and we're managing it our way. Woohoo! That's yeah. exciting. And they love it. And they're stoked on it. because That is so exciting. Yeah. I love that. Well, you can just come on out to our farm and fish her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. The more <laughs> acres we can impact, the better. Okay. Right? Well, this we'll have to take needs some... to be a large-scale I have movement. signed up for a couple of classes. So. Cool. Um, yeah, we're going to be coming in in October for i guess the tour of the, the oh, ranch and that's then I, awesome and then we're coming in in july good. to see the baby bison oh good those Aww. are really so fun excited. tours and they're actually very educational super formative you get to see like how we do fencing here how we do water and infrastructure and then yeah soil health principles i mean it's like we go over the five key principles of soil health and how this regenerative system actually works yeah it's that, really cool that's exciting if you could for our listeners for those who have farms and ranches where would you recommend them starting to learn more about the regenerative movement? Sure. There's a couple good resources. So one would be the Savory Institute as an organization. And so, again, that was founded by Alan Savory, who I kind of said is the godfather of how integrating livestock into a regenerative ranch or farm is possible. And it's not only possible, but we found out that the only way to actually have a regenerative ranch or farm is by incorporating animals it can't happen i mean where in nature does animals not exist right like, right you think imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been to and just picture that in your head and what you probably saw was a ton of biodiversity in both plant species insects and animals and birds and reptiles and everything so yeah the savory institute is all about how to incorporate animals into that system that regenerates and then as far as other resources, there's some really good books. There's one by Gabe Brown. It's called Dirt to Soil. Yes, I've seen that online. Oh, you got to yeah. get it. It's so oh, okay. inspiring and amazing. And it's just another story about someone who had a multi-generational family farm that was collapsing. I mean, mm. just financial distress. It could only produce food on chemical inputs. And that model doesn't work for very long because once you have a couple bad years, you're so in debt with machinery and chemicals that it's hard to bounce back and so this guy made a full pivot and went all regenerative and right now he's accomplished some amazing things so it's a story about him and his family and how he went about this transition and uh, it was really really inspiring okay and what's the name of the book again just to dirt look. to soil dirt to soil yeah, by okay. gabe brown mr brown okay that sounds awesome okay so Tell us a little bit about your animals that are here. I mean, you've got a wide variety. I don't think you've mentioned everything. Yeah. Okay, so we're a multi-species regenerative ranch here at Rome. And we raise bison. We raise turkeys, pigs, broiler chickens, laying chickens, ducks, geese. We have a honeybee apiary. And then we also consider the hundreds of thousands of wildlife a part of our farm or ranch. I call this more of a ranch, but I, you can use it interchangeably. It's just the yeah. mindset. But we wow, have that's a lot of a lot of wildlife. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> it's a lot of beating hearts, Aww. and they're all important because again, we're trying to 
really reproduce and manage these animals, how these animals would interact synergistically in a natural ecosystem. And so when you think about we're producing really nutrient-dense protein here on the ranch, but every animal has a purpose that's actually giving back to the land in addition to providing a food source for our community. And so like some examples are the bison, right? And this is all large ruminant animals, but the way that we manage them is called high-density grazing. We put the animals in smaller pastures, but we move them very frequently. And so what we're trying to reproduce is how those bison would have naturally migrated throughout the United States. And yes, bison were in Texas in the millions, not that long ago, less than 200 years ago. That's so cool. Yeah, especially in this region, right? Like they would have spanned from Canada all the way into Mexico, passing through Texas. And there's historical accounts of pioneers in Fredericksburg that saw hundreds of thousands. I mean, they would blanket this ecosystem. And so they had once been removed. But what did those bison do for the ecosystem? Well, they aerated the soil with their hoofs. So their hoofs are... They're more spade-shaped than flat, like cow and horse hoofs can be flat, but bison are a little bit more spade-shaped, so they chip away at compacted soil, and they help loosen it up to where rainfall can get in, and also so seeds can germinate out. Bison are also pollinators. They do this thing called wallowing, and so they'll roll around on their back over here, and then they'll walk you know, a couple hundred feet over there and do the same thing, and so they're constantly spreading seeds. And those wallows also create new ecosystems and pastures because over time they're shedding cellular debris, things that are in their fur, their oils are getting in that area, and that area will start retaining and holding water. And then there'll be a little aquatic ecosystem over there I that's completely that. independent. Yes. Yeah, so there's that's things, so fascinating. Like animals, to me. Yeah, it's just that- incredible. I mean, it's multifaceted. Their physical presence, their bite of a grass plant can stimulate that grass to grow more. If they get off of it. So, right. So we want them to have one bite, one good hearty bite, and then we move them to the next pasture. And then we account for sufficient, adequate recovery for those plant species. And it's all different depending on what kind of grasses you're growing. So they stimulate grass growth. But then the most obvious important thing is they're basically fertilization machines, right? Like they'll poop 40 pounds a day. Oh, Uh, And there's four pounds of nitrogen in that poop. And so this is like their poop goes on the ground. The, if it's a functioning ecosystem, there's dung beetles, there's other microorganisms that are pulling that manure into the soil, feeding the biology below ground, which in turn makes the plants grow bigger, more healthy, more nutrient dense. The roots can go deeper and grab minerals that aren't available at a superficial layer and bring them up to the surface. And that's how our food gets more minerals, right? So we yes. need deep soils, we need deep roots, and we need it all to be intact to cycle those minerals and nutrition. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example of the bison, right? And I said we have like poultry and pigs and birds. They scratch through manure, so they spread that fertility. That's just their natural instinct. They'll eat parasitic insects mm-hmm. out of manure that could further harm the bison. And so they break apart parasitic life cycles to where we don't have to use chemicals to combat that. And so, again, every animal on this ranch has a job aside from producing really nutrient-dense, delicious meat. It's all about making the land better. Right. Do you have goats? I would love to have goats. Goats are very important. Goats and bison, not friends. They do oh, not. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, go- I would have to kick out the bison. <laughs> I guess I didn't even <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to choose. I, oh. I would love to have goats. Oh, and goat, so And sheep and bison can't be mixed either. Sheep and goats carry a virus called malignant catarrhal fever and it's Mm. dormant and pretty much every single animal will have this dormant virus 
But if a bison is exposed to it, they'll die within 24 hours. Okay. And it's an airborne thing. It can be spread through their urine and manure. But for that reason, yeah. it just doesn't work out. Yeah, hands off on that, huh? Yep. Okay, so I'm sure, um, Taylor, you've probably been asked this question before, but can the regenerative agriculture feed the world? Yeah. It's a huge issue, you know? People are looking at you like, no, dude, this is not going to work. Yeah, we have a growing population, and that's the narrative of the chemical agriculture industry is the only way to feed the growing population is through chemical input and chemical farming, which just is simply not true. And this is a good living example of it here because right now our stocking density, so how many animals we have per acre of land, is about four times more than what's recommended in central Texas. And we have more animals per acre, but we also have more grass and we have more wildlife and we have better carbon sequestration and water retention because our ecosystem is functioning better. So we're producing more protein per acre than anyone else in central Texas. And so as far as being able to feed a growing population, this does work because we're taking non-productive, degraded, degenerated land and we're making it productive again. Mm -hmm. And so there's actually a study out there that said if we could take all existing agricultural land in the United States and increase the productivity by 33%, Mm -hmm. that we could grass feed every single beef cow in the country, right? And so it's not even a conversation of do we have the land mass, but it's do we have the management and the resources and the knowledge, but the potential is there. And, And I mean, you have to imagine. So again, if we're looking out at these fields that we see today are full of grass, when you came here, when we first bought the property, it was bare soil, right? And then a year later, it was probably 90% bare soil, 10% green growing plants. Most of our agricultural land is typically bare soil. And so if we can just grow more grass, we're more productive and we can feed more animals or produce more food per acre, which does contribute to feeding a growing population. Right. So do you guys have a garden out here as well? Yep. You do? Okay. I just hadn't seen it yet. It's a cool garden. It's called a chaos garden. And so it's different. (laughs) Okay. We we planted. Is that supposed to be a joke or is it? No, this is real. (laughs) It's it's neat. So it's just an elevated. Have you ever heard of like the three sisters? Yes. Yes. Like corn, beans, and some other cool plant. But (laughs) this was like a, a Mayan agricultural technique where they would plant three plants that all synergistically work together and they made the soil healthier and they made the plants healthier by sharing nutrients and synergistically working. And so we planted a garden with 40 plus different species of plants and we just blanketed an acre of it. And so it's getting established, but you can go out there in a month and you might trip on a watermelon. You might stumble on a cantaloupe or some beans or some tomatoes, all mixed. There's no bare soil. So do you integrate flowers in there as well? You know, you mix it all in. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. because those pollinators being present in that ecosystem is really important. Absolutely. Okay, so this is like an odd question, but, you know, I always want to know, a lot of people are always asking, so when you go to the store and you purchase grass-fed beef or bison or an organic chicken, how accurate is that label? Like, I mean, how important... Would you say it is to know your farmer? Sure. Yeah, there's some labels that should be red flags. Mm -hmm. And so the labels that you spoke of or the product claims, they can be good and they can be greenwashed. But the things that you really want to wash out for as a consumer are are vegetarian fed. Pigs, chickens, they're not vegetarians by nature. They're actually chickens are the closest living descendants as velociraptors. And so chickens 
need biologically to eat insects and other bugs. And so mine do. Yeah, right. And and your <laughs> chicken is going to have healthier eggs, it's going to have more nutrient dense meat by allowing it to eat the diet that it was intended to. And so when you see vegetarian fed, that should be a signal that this animal was kept indoors in confinement to where it couldn't interact with a natural ecosystem in the way that it should. And so that's one that we always tell people to look out for. But as far as grass-fed goes, I mean, you just really do need to know your source because organic has been so watered down. Organic mm -hmm. is now, for the most part, industrial organic, which people don't necessarily recognize. But you can destroy soil biology and disrupt an ecosystem just as easily with running a till and a plow through a field than if you spray it with anything that Monsanto makes. Gotcha. And so when you are organic and you do it in an industrialized way, you depend on that till to control weeds. And so you are tilling more than a conventional farmer, which if you've ever seen someone till a field, there's a cloud of smoke behind them. And if you breathe that in, you can smell carbon. I mean, it's soil yeah. carbon being released into the atmosphere. Yeah, and we want that carbon to go back into the ground. Yeah, that carbon yeah. is critical for soil health. It's what allows water to be retained and carbon is like a sponge so when it rains carbon can actually soak up water more effectively than anything else that's present in the soil and so it makes you more resilient in times of drought as well as more adaptable in flash floods which we get both of those in central texas yeah it's very yeah. common so the grass-fed beef at the stores if it doesn't say grass finished I mean, I'm almost yeah. at a point now yeah. where I just want to order it from you guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I mean, you're probably the closest. And I know, do you know Jason and Lindsay um, Kramer mm -hmm. out in Fayetteville? Yeah. Yeah. They're so awesome. the Yonder way. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they do a lot of good work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. So grass fed just means basically the animal was fed grass at some point in his life. Mm -hmm. And so you definitely want to look at 100%. It needs to say 100% grass fed or grass-fed, grass-finished. Okay. But then even that, if you don't know your farmer, you can get away legally with confining an, an animal. So putting a cow in a barn and just feeding it hay. Now, you don't want to do that, right? And that's not what you're envisioning as a consumer. You're supporting a system that treats animals like that. And so that's why, you know, even pasture-raised or free-range grass-fed is more important to get kind of the whole picture together. But what we're noticing, too, kind of the next tier of health claims and what we're really trying to pilot and pioneer here out of the ranch is the idea of being able to talk about regenerative systems. And so we are selling meat from the ranch, and we started a company called Force of Nature a couple of months ago. Yeah. And so Force of Nature, we have about 3,000 visitors every year that come out to the ranch for tours wow. like you signed up for, and they're awesome. And everyone at the end of this is like, I get it. Where do I start? How do I support this system? And for a long time, we've just said, just find those regional people who care and that are doing the right thing. But that's challenging for a lot of folks. And so we set out to create a, a national brand that had the integrity and the founding principles to accelerate this regenerative movement at a national scale. So instead of going to the grocery store and having to worry about being greenwashed, you could feel really confident about what you were purchasing. So you guys ship. Yep. Yeah. We ship under all force over. of nature all over the United States. And we just launched in Whole Foods Southwest and we launched in natural grocers nationally. And so that's been really exciting. But those packages, I mean, you'll see there's actually a regenerative claim. So we're taking data from the land that we're raising the animals on and we're measuring different ecological monitoring sites where we, we can see, well, are these animals making the land better or worse over time? 
And so the animals that we're sourcing for this Force of Nature brand are all making the land better over time. And we have the data to support that, right. which that's next level, right? So grass-fed, free-range, pasture-raised. But if it's regenerative, you're producing a product that has so many solutions and can heal the planet and heal heal the body heal our bodies oh, yeah. yeah which Massive. you know that whole that good microbiome in the gut which does nothing but heal the brain as well so yeah it starts in the gut yeah it starts in the gut and a really interesting thing so we've been monitoring our animals out here for a long time and we do vitamin and mineral testing we'll send out meat from the animals we harvest to a lab and we'll have nutritional testing done on it and we're looking at more than just fats, proteins, things like this. We're actually looking at minerals. And so our animals, we noticed, well, they're low in selenium, they're low in boron, they're low in calcium, they're low in magnesium. Mm-hmm. So we said that's those are the things that humans are really low in, like chronically, globally. These are yes. some of the, the key deficiencies that all humans have. And so our animals have those deficiencies too. What the heck? So we started testing our soil, and our soil has those deficiencies. And so what we're doing now here is we're actually starting to return those minerals that were once abundant in these soils, but they've basically been extracted through Mm -hmm. conventional agriculture. And we're putting those minerals back on our soil. And then we're planting a diversity of crops that actually bring minerals from deeper in the Mm -hmm. soil up to the surface. And we're tracking, yeah, we're tracking those minerals becoming more nutrient dense and more present in our meat from this ranch year over year. And so that's a really... I mean, if, if you're doubting this, the power of regenerative agriculture, like, again, just the nutritional density of the food alone, yeah. it can make more nutrient-dense, more nourishing food. Yes, absolutely. Well, gosh, Taylor, you know what? We need to wrap it up. I know you're very limited on your time. And just tell our listeners where we can find you online and briefly tell us maybe about some of the events. We've talked about a couple of them um, that you hold yearly on the branch. Sure. Okay. okay. You can find us at RomeRanch.com, and that's R-O-A-M. Some people think it's R-O-M-E. You wouldn't believe how many people think it's R-O-M-E. In Texas, like, we know better. Yeah, come on. What are you, have you ever heard that song, Oh, Give Me a Home, yeah. the Buffalo Rome? There we go. Come on, guys. It's like that. So RomeRanch.com, and uh, we have an event page there, and we have the coolest curated events here. My favorite one is pre-Thanksgiving, we have community members, and it's usually multi-generation. It's usually like grandma, kids, grandkids, all coming out to the ranch five days before Thanksgiving, and they're starting with a live heritage turkey. It was pasture-raised on the ranch, and we help them. We're as hands-on or as hands-off as those individuals want to be, and we celebrate its life. We eviscerate, well, we harvest it in a really humane way. Yeah, we defeather it. We teach these people how to do everything themselves. So wow. the bird they're taking home, they actually had a relationship, a connection with it as a living being. They saw the land that it was raised on, oh. and then they're taking home this mm-hmm. amazing experience, and they're sharing it with their friends and, and their extended family. And so that's my favorite event we do here. It's powerful. But we also have so ranch cool. tours and all types of fun curated things. We have introduction camps to getting people into hunting which is important. I think if you're mm-hmm. going to eat meat, you need to be comfortable with at least being able to recognize that there was a living being on the other side. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, tons of soil health camps. And so please check it out, and we'd love to see you here. They're awesome events, super fun. Well, I'm looking forward to it a little bit later on. But, Taylor, I just want to thank you for carving time out of your busy schedule to speak about something that stands for positive change here in Texas and all around the world. Thank you for being that force of nature for good 
not only healing the grasslands, but playing a significant, but yet behind the scenes part in healing individuals with chronic disease. The regenerative agriculture approach you and Katie have implemented on your land is making such a meaningful difference. And I'm just loving how you are inspiring others to just get on that bandwagon. So it's been a privilege and an honor to be a part of Rome Ranch today. And just thank you for being a guest on the Healthy Brain Podcast, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely, Carrie. I'm so happy that you came out and what a lovely day. And I can't wait for you to come back out on multiple times oh. with your family and yeah, see how so, this place changes. So looking forward to it's it. It's going to be great. Thank you, Ken. Yep. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not meant to replace personalized advice from your healthcare provider. If you have specific medical questions, please talk to a licensed medical professional.